Introducing your starting lineup for the NBA's Most Valuable Podcast. He's a 5'10 forward out of Carleton University. Give it up for Bradford. Welcome back, everybody, to a special presentation of the NBA's Most Valuable Podcast. I'm John Gallardo, and alongside me, as always, is Jeffrey Tram. And today, we have some special guests to help us break down the 2020 draft. We've got multi-sport reporter Grant Vassos. We've got Killian Hayes' number one fan, David Lockheed. And we've got mm-hmm. Carlton Ravens basketball broadcaster and Ottawa Sports Page reporter, Michael Sun. That was a big mouth- mouthful, but... How is everybody doing today? Yeah, doing well, doing well. Yeah, thanks for uh, having us on. Pretty good. Yeah, a little tired, but pretty good. Yeah, I appreciate you guys coming on. The 2020 draft is certainly a draft that's pretty hard to project. It's uh, a lot of question marks more than answers, but we're going to talk about all of the, well, not all of the prospects, but a lot of prospects today, just off of our own homework we've done over the interwebs and scouting. And We're just going to talk about a couple of our favorite prospects, you know, some prospects that might be question marks right now, some boomer bust picks, and we're basically going to break down the draft into categories. So we're going to be breaking it down by talking about can't miss lottery picks. So these are players that we feel are players you should draft if you are um, in the position to draft these players. So in other words, are the players we're most confident about. And then we're going to talk about some, you know, mid-first round sleepers, maybe some players that aren't rated the highest but are projected to go around the middle of the first round. But you feel there's sleepers in this position, and there's a lot of value in drafting these guys in that position. And then we're going to talk about a lot of the high boomer bust picks. So we're talking everybody that's, you know, clamoring on about Lamelo Ball being the best player in the draft. We've got one person in this podcast that thinks that, so this should be interesting. And we're also going to talk about some potential second round steals. Although granted we're not doing a full like deep dive in the second round because that's just the job of a scout at that point. So um, without, with that out of the way, we're going to get started with our can't miss lottery picks. So David, you are Killian Hayes' number one fan. I am. Yeah, so talk to us about Killian Hayes. He's your can't-miss lottery pick, am I right? I mean, he's my lottery pick. First off, this draft, this draft is trash, um, at the top at least. But I just love I love every, every NBA draft. I don't know how you can't. They're always fun. And, you know, out of all these guys, there's clear no number one this year. And I don't think Killian's a clear number one guy, but I think what he is is 
projectable. And I think that he's someone that where you draft him, if that's going to be in that six to 10 range, I think he can end up becoming the best player in this draft. So, yeah, I mean, that's what I love about the idea of Killian Hayes. To me, he looks like a bit more of like as best an OKC James Harden on offense, like the third wheel on a good team. Someone that's going to be a bit of a combo guard that can do that play, that can have a good step back, play make, hit all three levels of the floor in ter- on, his, on offense. But then on defense, he's, he's already good off ball. And to me, that's huge. If you're an off ball defender, that means that you have intelligence on the floor. You can read the floor. You can see it. He's got good size at 6'5", I believe, and he's not skinny. So he is underwhelming athletically, but if he, ha- if he has those, the smarts and skills, I just see this guy being able to translate really well. As I mean, from what I've seen on the tape, like he's got good shifty moves. His step back three isn't great right now, but he's got really good, really good form on it. And his free throw percentage is good, which is an indicator to good three point shooting. So I see all those things there. And I mean, when you think about what you want in the playoffs, something that a team like the Raptors lacked, something that at times even the Celtics lacked in the conference finals when Tatum didn't have it going, was that person that can make their own shot and set defense in the half court. I can see Killian being that guy. And to me, that's one thing that I really value. Yeah, yeah. From kind of going off that point, David, um, I think the biggest thing that um, GMs and coaches are looking at when it comes to Hayes is his vision is going to be his biggest attribute. And you look at his highlight tape and you can see it with his passing and he sets up his players really well too. And it's kind of remarkable for such a young prospect, 19 years old, I believe to have a vision like that. And it sticks out in the highlight tape for sure. But I think uh, his change of speed is a little underrated too. When you look at the tape, because not a lot of people talk about, but change of speed, you ever play basketball, that's such a tough thing to defend, especially for a defender. Because the thing is, like, if you have a guy going 100%, 100 miles per hour, eventually you're going to click in and figure out how to stop him. But the thing with him is his change of speed because he's so shiftiness, he has that little twitch to him, that it's going to be tough for defenders to predict where he's going and what his next move is going to be. So I think that's one of the things where you, uh, you add his vision and you add that change of speed the shooting and the scoring is getting there, but when coach and GMs look at there, it's the change of speed in his vision and the fact, too, that he's one of the players that's playing, like, with professional men overseas. Like, he's playing in France's top professional league. I think it's the LMB Pro A. Correct me if I'm he's wrong. He's actually playing in Germany. Yeah, Germany, yeah. Yeah, but he is French. But he is French. Yeah, so he was French, but he's playing in Germany. So I think that's another thing, too, right? Like, he's not playing with college guys. He's playing against – you know, professional players. He's playing against grown yeah. men. This is what he's doing. Yeah, no, yeah. exactly. Oh. Yeah, I guess, um, you know, building off kind of both what you said about Killian Hayes, um, you know, I'm in general, I, I would say as a caveat, I haven't followed this draft as much as leading up to other ones and perhaps just because in terms of the, the quality and also the timing of the pandemic and stuff. But in terms of Killian Hayes, I mean, I remember he was a, as an international player. He was on the scene like three, four years ago in terms of, you know, playing a lot of those kind of, you know, basketball borders camps, playing for, you know, MVP for France at the under-16 Euros, yeah. um, took France to the finals of the under-17 World Cup um, where they lost to the U.S. So, I mean, he's kind of been on that kind of high level for a long time. And I think um, I was listening to, I think, the um, 
low post podcast with they had Jonathan Gavoni and uh, Mike Schmitz on two excellent draft analysts. And they were talking about how one thing that will be interesting in the NBA is that the team that drafts Killian will have to have confidence in him to kind of allow him to develop because when he was at home, you know, and that was, you know, to your point, I think Grant, like he was playing up in France up until last season, but obviously he kind of made what was considered a pretty bold move to kind of go play in Germany for his draft year. And that's the fact that his club on, you know, wants to kind of attract young players like that. So basically their kind of philosophy was let's give him the green light. Let's let him make mistakes. Let's let him have turnovers. Let's let him kind of really develop and showcase his game. And I think the key is the NBA is the fact that, and I think, you know, fit matters for every prospect is that I hope he gets onto a team that, you know, will give him the green light to kind of go make those mistakes. We'll give him a green light to kind of go learn on the job. Um, and I think that could really be helpful for his development rather than kind of being stifled, kind of sitting on the bench, you know, or getting pulled in and out, in and out of the lineup, you know, all the time. Um, but he definitely kind of has that kind of potential. It's just in terms of, it's one of those where like, you look at like, you know, how, what team can help them better best develop that really. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you know, what team can best is great at developing players is the Raptors. So mm-hmm. Raptors sign and trade Fred Van Vliet to Atlanta, the Knicks, Detroit, make it happen. You cowards. That's a spicy uh, take. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know about that. I mean, Killian, he, he looks like he's going to be a pretty decent player. I've seen some comps to um, like a, a bigger Goran Dragic. But uh, I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm very uncomfortable with trading up in a draft like this just, be, just because a lot of the players are big question marks. And, you know, I, I'm not 100% uh, ready to let go of Fred Van Fleet yet. Yeah, that's really only if Fred's asking for like $25 million. If Fred's, million, if Fred's million. like, I'll come back at $20 million, I'd be like, welcome back. For sure, for sure. But um, I know one guy on this podcast is very high on another guard in the draft that, that a lot of people are high on too. So I think we got to address that first. Uh, Jeff, make the case for LaMelo Ball being the best player in this draft. <laughs> well, first of all, um, I agree with a lot of the takes around Killeen Hayes. Um, also looking at like some of the draft projections, they actually have him as the third best guard. Um, they actually have Tyrese Halliburton, which I would love to get your guys' thoughts on that. Um, but in terms of LaMelo Ball, um, he, from a lot of the, the draft experts that I've seen, they have him as the best prospect. And not only the best prospect, he's a tier above everyone else. Now, obviously, we know that he didn't play in um, college. He was playing in Australia. Um, and the word that, uh, that's been used a lot around his name is box office. And, you know, the, that name, that's, I feel like that word is often overused because, you know, I mean, you think of a guy like Ta- uh, Tim Tebow, like he was box office, but that doesn't translate to, you know, a field no performance. Um, but I think that Lomelo Ball, I think what, what the approach with this draft is also whether the team picks positional strength uh, need or the best talent too so there's been talks that minnesota could potentially pick lamello ball number one um i don't know about his fit with um with d'angelo russell but in terms of talent um i do like lamello's game and i could see him being uh, a very impactful player in the league yeah no no exactly i think um you know building off your point, Jeff, about LaMelo, I mean, you know, if we're kind of getting tips, my kind of um, surefire water, I guess it would be LaMelo as well. 
Um, you know, I, I don't know if I go first overall. I don't know if I go first overall, but I would take him first overall if I was a general manager. I think for Minnesota, they're kind of in an interesting position because they're kind of like, you know, do you trade down or do you trade out for immediate help? But also you look at the fact that, you know, this isn't a team that, you know, reached the second round of the playoffs last year and is one piece away from contending for a championship. They're still, you know, kind of a ways away. So in a sense, you know, if you do, they, they do believe Lamelo or Anthony Edwards or Wiseman or someone else is, you know, as good of a piece as think they are, I don't think they should just look too forward to kind of trading out of that necessarily. But I think with Lamelo, it's like, you know, another, and again, but like Killian Hayes, another guy that, you know, social media and everyone's been kind of following for a long time. Um, I don't know if that's kind of impacted his thing, good or bad, but I think, you know, like Killian Hayes, you know, has played professional basketball, um, you know, at, at a pretty high level. And I think with Lamelo, you know, some of the kind of, I think Mike Schmitz made this point, he's made this point quite a few times, is that, you know, almost, in, in a sense, in terms of the Chino Hills days, the, you know, Lithuania tour, the JBA and stuff, like, in one sense, that can be framed as a negative in terms of, you know, oh, Lamelo didn't develop his fundamentals, Lamelo, you know, lacked certain disciplines on defense and stuff. But in some ways, it actually can be a good thing, because that's the kind of period, especially in development, that you want to give the green light to kind of let him be creative, let him try new things, let him kind of really kind of tap into his creative side without kind of, you know, without kind of filtering that out too, too much. And I think kind of when Lamelo can, you know, now he's starting to see in terms of some of the strengths he has in terms of the passing, in terms of the court vision, in terms of the playmaking um, and, you know, the shot creation stuff, you're kind of seeing that creative side that was allowed to develop because of the lack of structure in a sense. And then now I think when you get to the NBA point of view, you know, again, will there be concerns? Yeah, but I think in terms of it's much more valuable, it's much better to send, let, let him develop creatively in the ages of 15 to 18 and then talk about discipline, talk about stuff like that when he gets to the NBA level and try to hammer that in too, too early and then kind of take away kind of that creative spark. So I think with Lamelo, he's kind of that. And I would say in terms of a comparison, I was thinking about this because it's not really a perfect one, but I'm almost saying in terms of he's, as, in terms of modern comparison, he's almost kind of like a little bit of, Lonzo and a little bit of Trey Young, if you yeah. can mind it. He's kind of got Trey Young's in terms of his, his court vision, in terms of some of the fearlessness in terms of the shots. Not as good of a shooter as Trey Young is. Um, he's got Lonzo's size. Also, has kind of got the you know defensive question marks of Trey Young as well to some extent. But I think in terms of that would be kind of my comp, and it's always hard to kind of pinpoint exactly player to player comp because each player is you know their you know their own unique kind of playing style, their own unique individual. Yeah, um, 100%. that's what I think. Uh, I'm out. Yeah. Um, oh. You know, I think I think Michael he kind of won me over a little bit for the case for Lamelo. Um, I will say that he is an elite passer. He he has elite vision, but oh man, when he shoots like forty percent from the field, like almost what is it like twenty something percent from three, he, he can barely hit free throws. How can he be a surefire lottery pick when he doesn't even hit most of his shots? Like, that's that's probably the biggest question that he has on his uh, skill set right now. And you know, I it, it is hard because whoever passes on Lamelo, and you know, he if he turns out to be a superstar, we're gonna be looking back at this draft a couple of years down the road, and we're gonna think, damn, Lamelo slid down that far if he does slide down anyway. And there have been reports that he could potentially slide down to the later, like, 
seven, eight range, but there's also been reports that he could be selected as high as number one. So, you know, I don't, I'm not 100% sold yet on LaMelo. And I think a lot of teams are feel, feel the same way, but he does have that one identifiable elite skill, which is his passing. I mean, David, maybe you can be the <laughs> voice of caution for some teams. So picture this Minnesota, are in a playoff clinching game and they need one stop as the other team comes down Uh and they have LaMelo, D'Angelo Russell and Kat on the floor to play defense. I don't think it's going to come down to the last possession. If they have those three guys on defense. (laughs) Like I get, I see all those points and like, I hear it. Yeah. It like, he's got some eye popping talent, but he just doesn't play this winning type of – he doesn't play a winning type of game. And, like, he just – there's just a bit too much of a watch me work, watch me do these things. And it's like, bro, you can't shoot threes. Stop doing that. It's mm. that type of thing where, like, yeah, it, you know, if, you, if someone reigns that in, hypothetically, but it's a hypothetical. Is that going to get reined in or is that who he is? is he, does he just want to be the man? That's uh, that's picking too much into an 18-year-old's psyche that I don't know. Yeah. But, I mean, it's just like the, it's like the lack of wanting to play defense and the lack of like wanting to play a type of basketball that will win that just gives me the red flags. I get all the talent, but when, it, when there's no production on the side, I think for, to a certain extent, like what you are getting at, at draft day is what you will get in the NBA. And I don't think all of that baggage is going to go away. I just have a gut feeling it will. Yeah, I, I think I think the challenge for the team that ends up drafting Lamelo is how are you going to be able to let the creativity that has on the court flow naturally while it's still in the confines and the structure of the team, right? Because obviously on the highlight tape, you can see that once he gets going, once he gets a hot hand and he starts, um, you know, making unorthodox passes to his teammates, uh, he's a really tough guy to guard because you really don't know what he's going to do. He can pass behind the back. He make natural passes, no-look passes. You know, there's that unpredictability factor about him when he has the ball in his hands. But with that, too, you know, is he a guy that you can live and die with the ball in his hands, considering his defensive struggles and, you know, the red flags? And, John, you touched on this point, too, right? He misses a lot of shots. You look at highlight tape, yeah, he makes some crazy shots from, from deep and even inside, but – you know, not in the tape, you see that the field goal percentage from the three that it's not good. He misses a lot of shots. So, you know, from an NBA level at the next level, can you live with that many shots um, missed? And I think the comparison, Michael, you put for Lonzo, I think that's a good comparison because when I saw his tape, he did remind me of uh, Lonzo Ball during his freshman year at UCLA very much in the sense of how he shot the ball and uh, what he did with the ball in his hands, his playmaking ability. But the thing too with Lonzo is that um, his rookie year, yes, he was a little disappointing, but then he moved to another team and you can see that talent starting to come out. And I feel like that could be the similar thing with LaMelo because with Minnesota over the years, we kind of know that the structure and the coaching hasn't been up to par with a lot of the top tier teams, the NBA. So I feel like the rookie year, there could be some bumps and bruises with that, but I think for LaMelo, maybe three years down the line is where we're really going to start to see him uh, develop into that superstar. 
you know, pending maturity issues, which I don't think will be an issue. I think he's gotten way more mature as age comes, just mm-hmm. as it does naturally. But I think this is a case where it could be the same thing with Lonzo, where if it doesn't work with Minnesota and he gets traded, then maybe he does flourish in that superstar that everybody's predicting him to be. Yeah, and I guess um, Grant, I guess, or I guess for Grant or David or Jeff or John, like any of you guys can answer this. I'm curious in terms of from LaMelo, like given kind of what you guys have all mentioned, which are all great points, um, what team do you think he w- would be best for his career in terms of a team mm-hmm. that could trade up to that pick or could take him? Like given kind of his shortcomings and his talent and stuff like that, what team do you think currently would be the best case scenario for his career and his development? Well, my boom bust guy isn't this guy, but I have the same um, team in that scenario. And it's the Warriors just because with someone that has these question marks about, you know, at least to me, he doesn't really play with a winning style of basketball um, with the decision-making that he has. You want to be surrounded by good vets that have great work habits that you respect and that can really help mold you and develop you along the way. That's not going to be the case in Minnesota. So I don't, I really, for his own sake, I hope he doesn't go there because I just can't see it with the, the guys they have there. But the Warriors is like a 180. I think he should go to a team that's, you know, like you guys were saying, willing to let him take risks and let him be himself. I think there is something to be said about, you know, teaching him the right habits and having a win, like a veteran presence in the locker room to really teach him the ropes of how to be an NBA professional and you know how to not be out of control all of the time. But I just think for Lamelo's development, if he's really going to develop into a superstar type of player, he needs to go to a team like a New York or a Charlotte, a, a Chicago that really is like lacking that facilitator. I th- I'd actually really like his fit in Chicago because. You know, they still have Zach Levine. They have Kobe White, who aren't, you know, the greatest facilitators. So having LaMelo really run the offense in that team, they still got Lowry Markinen. Wendell Carter Jr. is only getting better. I think that really fits LaMelo's timeline. But I don't know, Grant, do you have any suggestions on where he could possibly fit better? Um, you know, if I want to be realistic, um, I think Chicago might be a good place. Charlotte might be a good place too but that said though you know reality he's m- probably not going to drop out of the top 10 you know his talent That's is true. going to demand probably a lottery pick because I don't think the red flags are going to outweigh the fact that he can be this offensive catalyst for your team and the reality is that if he goes to these teams he's going to be one of the guys so there's going to be pressure on him to have an impact early to put up big numbers early and tell the team so when it comes to that, I, I, it's tough because I don't think he's going to have a lot of time to develop because there's going to be that short-term expectation where he needs to put up numbers. You know, like if you go top five, then the expectation is that you are going to put up numbers now. You're going to have an impact. So, yeah, yeah Charlotte or Chicago, but I mean, I'd rather him go to the later round teams, but in reality, he's probably going to go to one of those teams. And then, so if if you, you guys don't have that high expectation for LaMelo Ball like other people, who does Minnesota pick at number one? To me, it's got to be Edwards then, no? Yeah, that, that's a tough one because uh, the fit with a big like Wiseman or a Kongwu, 
it's not really the best alongside Cat. Ideally, you want a player that can play alongside uh, on the wings potentially with Lamelo. With um, sorry, not Lamelo, D'Angelo Russell. Um, but at the same time, you want someone in that spot that can actually defend a little bit. So I don't know. Maybe Minnesota goes out of the box and picks a Isaac Okoro out of nowhere, like a it's Anthony Bennett cool. situation. Mm-hmm. It really, like you were saying earlier, Jeff. It really comes down to if the Timberwolves are valuing fit or um, you know best available. So I think that's going to become really evident at the at the start of this draft what teams are going to be valuing because. You know, if you're if you're the team in the first pick, right? You can pick literally anybody you want, but you you're also in a position where Cat he's not going to be around forever, you know. And you still have D'Angelo Russell, but you're not necessarily a playoff team yet. So you want to get better quick. So it it's really going to come down to you know if they value positional fit, you know, defensive fit, or if they're going to value talent, but. If I had to put my money, I'd probably say Edwards is probably the safe pick for them at number one. I'd, yeah. I'd have to say so. Yeah, I think um, going off your point, John, I think in terms of, you know, if you mentioned kind of, you know, if they, if they like, because, you know, I think getting a big is probably a non-starter for them, or at least a yeah. big in this draft is probably a non-starter for them, just given, you know, having Jonathan Towns there. If it's Edwards, if it's Okoro, if it's someone else, if honestly they feel like, like for Charlotte, for example, from what, you know, with, you know, stuff that's been on social media, like if they really want James Wiseman, make them go trade up for James Wiseman and say, yeah. we'll switch one and three, you know, and we'll take Anthony Edwards or Isaac Okoro at number three. And we'll get something else from Charlotte along the way kind of thing. If Charlotte really doesn't want, you know, if Charlotte's really worried that James Wiseman's not there by number three. Now, I don't know what Charlotte thinks, you know, maybe there are other teams in terms of, you know, it feels like their need is probably more for a big, but at the end of the day, it's like, and how much are they willing to kind of, you know, trade up, you know, for to get James Wiseman, whether that's moving up to number two, moving up to number one. Um, th- those trades will be available for sure because, you know, Minnesota and even Golden State, they've made it pretty clear that, you know, despite all of their reports on scouting different players, they're very open to moving those draft picks for the right trade. So, you know, I- I heard a rumor, which was uh, kind of funny, was actually Minnesota was considering Wiseman, but I feel like they were trying to do that to kind of incentivize the other teams to trade up. Yeah, because there's, there's a lot of mischief going around. Is, like, there's a lot of teams just trying to throw each other off. Like, I think the Warriors they've probably worked out like a lot of the top prospects in this draft, and a lot of the articles I've read anyway. Although you can question their credibility, but. They've been interested in Denny Avdia. They've been interested in Wiseman. They liked what they saw with Edwards. Lamelo did really well in their workout. There's just all this, I, not infor- misinformation, but there's a lot of the teams trying to throw each other off in order to maybe jockey for a better trade there. So, I mean, I, I'm just going to say my surefire draft pick here. I actually think that... Onyeka Okongwu is actually the best center in this draft. And I had like a little write-up here on just what I think about him. You know, he's 6'9", 245 with a 7'1 wingspan. So he's not, you know, the most um, – he didn't have the best dimensions for a NBA center. 
but he shows solid rim protection at the at the rim. He averaged nearly three blocks a game last season at for UFC, USC, sorry, USC, the University of Southern California. Um, he also has great defensive versatility. He's able to guard on the perimeter. He he shows an ability to guard the pick and roll on switches, and he also has a solid motor on the glass. He's going to chase down your the rebounds for you, and he just serves as a solid role man in the pick and roll. He hasn't shown the ability yet to hit mid-range jump shots at a consistent level, and he hardly shot any threes, so that's probably a big question mark for him, just considering how the NBA has changed with big men shooting threes now. But I really think this guy can be maybe not as talented as Bam Adebayo because Bam, he's a high-level playmaker at his position, but he can provide a lot of the things Bam Adebayo could do right out of the gate in college. So like playing good defense and getting rebounds, I think he's a safer pick than Wiseman just because there have been some questions about you know Wiseman's rebounding. He didn't play too many games in college. But um, I don't know. I guess my question for you guys is out of the two between Wiseman and Okongwu, do you guys think that um, Wiseman's the better prospect or do you guys like agree with uh, my sentiments about Okongwu? No, I, th- I think um, no, I think for that one, I think it depends on the terms of what each what you know the team's drafting is looking for. Because Wiseman's, you know, been the one that's been kind of you know more in the news kind of in the years leading up. Because obviously he was the number one, I believe, number one, number two prospect either by a lot of kind of ranking sites coming out of high school and stuff. And obviously, you know, he didn't get to play much, you know, given the you know violations and stuff at um, Memphis and stuff like that. Yeah, I think Wiseman's like I've heard the Chris Bosh comparison with him. Yeah, um, yeah. Okong was like the band comparison, but I think more defensive than offensive at this point. Yeah, in terms of you know he's still kind of got some ways to develop in terms of from an offensive point of view. And to be honest, I don't know if you know, his offensive game may not be the exact same style as Bam's, but defensively that that's where the kind of real strength is in terms of getting kind of that player that you know, especially for a team, can be kind of a good defensive anchor early on. Can kind of you know, contribute right away from that point of view and then develop his offense more and more over time. I think Wiseman, I think it's just in terms of, um, you know, at some point, you know, obviously he doesn't have a lot of film on him the past year or so, but um, he definitely kind of has, I would say, probably more of that kind of offensive potential. Um, and it'll be interesting to see in terms of, you know, for a team like, you know, Charlotte, for example, that might look to draft a big, which, which direction they go in. Bam just moves different. And I mean, this isn't like a slight to Okongwu, but I don't, he doesn't glide the same way that Bam does, where he's just kind of like, oh my God, that guy's an athlete. Um, I'd say he, okay, Okongwu reminds me of like a, maybe a more polished, Tristan, under, undersized Tristan Thompson than a Bam. Mm. And that's kind of, that's my take, I'd say. It's like, I see Wiseman and I see all the athletic skills and I wish he had a Kongwu's approach. And I see a Kongwu and I just wish he had Wiseman's body. Yeah, I think that's a pretty fair way to assess both guys. I mean, Grant, what do you, what do you think? Um, I actually had a guy that was supposed to be drafted around the late top 10, outside the top 10. And the only reason, uh, I don't think he's a surefire, but I think um, his impact is going to be immediate and he kind of has a role card out for himself. It's um, the uh, 
wing out of Vanderbilt University, Aaron Smith. And the reason oh, I put that mm, is because I love him. He's a great I look player. at his highlight tape, and that's just kind of his role, right? You see him work off the screens, and he gets a spot up three, and it's almost money. And you look from his time in college, and he's a sophomore, so he had two years to develop. You look at his numbers, like he's over 50% in both categories, field goal and from three, which is kind of ridiculous. And the way the NBA is going, too, that they like these ideal wing players, too, that can play both forward and guard. And he's got the ideal size, too, 6'6", 215. And, um, yeah, he's already got good potential defense, too, because I feel like the one thing about all these prospects is why this isn't tough draft is because neither of the players, for the most part, are great on both ends. You know, you either have the ones that are great on offense, they struggle on defense, or you have – these defensive shutdown players who they still need to develop their offense. I, I think uh, Naismith, you know, he's kind of got the both ends here where you watch some of his tape too. He's got some great hustle plays on defense where he's able to recover really well. And that's kind of his thing too. He's a team defender. Uh, he gets hard back on defense. And his skill starts to really solid too. And he's got a good motor, which is good because for especially these top end guys, you want someone that's got a good motor. You want someone that's not going to be comfortable drafted too high. And I said that before, too. His role already looks pretty defined. You know, what you see in college is probably what you're going to get in the NBA if the team uses him that way. Um, now, the only thing with him, too, is that he only played 14 games because he had that stress fracture in his foot. So some injury mm -hmm. concerns. But, uh, you, you know, take that as you will with injuries, especially with all these players. Um, but the NBA comp I had for him is I was going through some of the YouTube videos and one of them mentioned that he's kind of a more athletic Duncan Robinson coming out of Michigan. Mm. I like, you know, that. like, especially his role in offense. Like it's very similar, you know, like Duncan or Robinson would get these points, just spot off threes where his teammates would set him up. And it's a quick release too. And he's just a little more athletic too, which is very interesting considering how Robinson would use the heat. And let's be honest, you know, like Miami, they don't make it to the finals without Robinson's performance. You know, Definitely it can not. go underrated at times, but, you know, he does have that role where, you know, a team today, they need that role if they want to compete. I, I love hope he doesn't end up as like a Ben McElmore because I feel like we've seen this type of architect or um, prototype of player come out of the draft, come into the draft before, you know, like high athleticism, great shooter in college. Uh, I, I just hope he ha he translates well to the league, but uh, David like, what do you think about Aaron Neesmith here? I love it. I, I think I'm not scared of the Macklemore thing because he's he's another guy that's really good off ball and defense. And like to me, that matters. Like I talked about with Killian, like if you if you're good at off ball defense, that shows you're an intelligent, consistent player, and you're gonna you know bring the bring that every single game. I love someone that's compared to Danny Green as maybe his best, but also averaged 23 points a game in college. Like that's, I think like he's he's someone that I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't flinch if he was put if he was drafted in the top ten because I mean I see it I see exactly what Grant's talking about. Yeah, it's got a high. I love the high motor. Um, mentioning that as well because like such an underrated thing. Mm -hmm. Love a guy that's just nonstop ready. I think that's also why I valued Okongwu a little bit over Wiseman, just because when you're drafting a young player to come into your system. If I'm a GM anyway, I want someone that's going to work for it. You know, someone that's dedicated to their game and it's going to hustle for loose balls. Cause that's, 
that's what winning basketball is all about, really. The 50-50 ball is so important. And if you have players like that that are going to hustle, then you're on your way to really setting a good team culture and a winning culture for your team. But, um, yeah, Aaron Neesmith, man, he – He's he's like a 50-40-90 guy, basically, at his prime, if he can really develop the way that we're projecting him to. And I'm, I haven't seen too much footage from other wing prospects, but like Grant was saying, a lot of them either have the three or they either have like the defense in their game. But there's not a lot of prospects in this draft that can bring both. And Neesmith is like a player that can potentially project to do both, which is so valuable in today's NBA. But uh, Michael, what do you think about Aaron Neesmith, just uh, from um, our conversations? No, definitely. I think in terms of, you know, obviously I'm not as familiar with him as you guys are, but I think just kind of echoing kind of what all of you said, I think, you know, definitely in terms of one of the things you talk about 50, 40, 90, I think, you know, one thing we learned in terms of the past few years of free agency trends is, you know, people will pay for shooting. People yeah. will pay for shooting to get shooting on the team. And if you can be a good shooter kind of, you know, from all across the floor, you know, those are the guys getting the big, you know, second and third contracts in the NBA these days. Um, so I think, you know, trying to get, getting that kind of guy in there, like there's definitely kind of value to that. And I think in terms of from a culture point of view, in terms of getting a guy with a high motor that works, right, I think it's just in terms of that kind of just strengthens the team culture or, it, you know, it strengthens or improves the team culture in terms of, you know, you don't have to worry about the intangibles in that sense, in terms of, you know, is the guy going to do the right thing? Is that guy going to be, you know, a good character? Um, so, no, definitely. I think, you know, I think he could definitely be a top 10 pick. And um, it's interesting to see kind of what team gets him or, you know, maybe maybe even if some team, you know, trades up for him. Um, I got a hot another take. Another player. Real yeah, quick, Jeff. Okay. I got a hot take. Just thinking about this now. All right, go ahead. <laughs> Aaron, Aaron Nesmith, Nesmith or Nesmith? Is it Nesmith or Nesmith? I, I'm not sure, but... <laughs> he seems like the type of player Minnesota would like. So I'm what? just going to make a bold prediction that they might just <laughs> pick him out right. And if there's nothing, no trades available, I mean, I don't know. But am I, I'm, I'm not crazy, am I? I might be. That's pretty crazy. I mean, I respect the spice in this, John, I got to say. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Anyways, uh, Jeff, you had something to say about uh, Aaron? No, I just wanted to bring up a name and have conversations about him because um... – He's been someone that should be talked about. Obi Toppin. I wanted to hear your guys' thoughts Ooh. on him because um, people are very high on him for what I've seen. It's a very divisive uh, landscape, I guess, for evaluating Obi Toppin. Some people say he's like Amari Stoudemire with a jump shot. And then other people say, well, he, he's good on offense, but his defense is too, I guess, uh, far gone at this point of his career to, for him to be like a positive impact player. Yeah. And to be fair, I've only really like seen the surface level stuff for Obi Toppin. I haven't gone through deep dives. So, I mean, have, have you guys really looked into Obi Toppin's, you know, projected scouting reports and stuff? Um, no, I, I think kind of following up on kind of what you guys were talking about, I think, um, you know, kind of, you know, in reference to kind of what you were mentioning, Grant, about kind of the, the offense, defense kind of imbalance in the sense Obi Toppin is one of those kind of offensive guys. Yeah. Um, defensively, he hasn't kind of produced, you know, or not produced very well, but kind of like, you know, showing he kind of is as strong as his offense. But I think, you know, that's where it comes in terms of, you know, it depends. I guess in the NBA, he'll have to kind of play the four position sometimes just yeah. because, and that might be a challenge in terms of guarding certain wings in the league. But I think in terms of that's where kind of the team structure comes in. Where if you kind of have enough defensive help around him, 
you know, you can kind of minimize the kind of, you know, defensive, um, or you can kind of maximize his defensive impact from that point. But I think Obi Toppin is one of those, it's like what I see, it's like, you know, one of the older guys in the draft, you know, national player of the year, um, took Dayton, you know, unfortunately COVID-19, you know, hit, so they couldn't make their, you know, March Madness run. Yeah. Um, but definitely kind of one of the higher, higher floor kind of guys, I would say in terms of offensively, um, just in terms of, you know, kind of, you kind of know what you're getting and also in terms of, you know, getting kind of an older guy in there, um, you know, who's been, you know, wasn't really recruited coming out of high school, you know, end up having to kind of, you know, go to, you know, eventually find its way to Dayton and stuff. Um, you know, you can definitely tell there's that kind of hunger, there's a kind of drive there to kind of succeed where you kind of won't take anything for granted. Um, and also offensively, I think just in terms of, you know, there's the offensive game, the Amari Stoudemire comparisons, you know, as you guys have mentioned. And I think he can be kind of a solid offensive player. And I think in terms of the defensive aspect, um, you know, if you can kind of get, you know, if you have a strong wings or a strong, you know, post player or big player around them, I think you can kind of hide some of Obi Toppin's defensive um, weaknesses. Yeah, I think there's something to be said for someone that's done it. Like he was the best player in college and I mean, he didn't look, he looked like there was something there that could translate. I I don't hate the pick at all. I mean, as someone that also has stiff and tight hips, I also know there's only so much you can do with that. <laughs> so, um, you know, defense will never be perfect with him, but I think, it, you know, it's kind of focusing too much on that takes away from what he can do really, really well and looking at how it's a bad draft. I mean, at the, right now, at least from the looks of it, it's it'd be, I wouldn't complain if I'm, you know, picking eighth, ninth, and I get even like in the five to seven range and I pick Obi Toppin because I know what I'm getting with him and I'm pretty confident that what he's going to do well, he'll do pretty well at least in the NBA. Yeah, I think the um, the thing with Toppin too is that he was a late bloomer coming out of college. You know, his freshman year, he really didn't too much in his sophomore year. That's where he really blew up and, you know, he won the Wooden Award, as you guys mentioned. He was named the Naismith Associate Player of the Year. I, but I think the thing with Toppin too is that I look at his tape and the first thing I have in my notes here is that watching his tape is some of the best eye candy that I saw of all the prospects in the draft. Mm-hmm. Like him on offense, it is absolutely beautiful to watch him with the explosiveness and just the way that he's with his inside game too. And the, the thing that came to my mind when I saw that is that his frame, his body, and the way he explodes in that rim when he dunks, it reminds me of LeBron. I know I might get ripped on that, but it really does remind me the explosiveness mm-hmm. of those dunks because it makes me perk out of my chair seeing that. Like, okay, I can see now why he is rated so highly. I can see why uh, he's probably going to go top five in this draft. Um, I think the thing too that is that there is a lot of raw talent there too. He's great on offense, but the defense is absolutely killer for him. I mean, just some of the plays that he has, you know, you just wonder like, uh, how is the coach going to try to hide that on defense without maybe a year or two trying to fix the the, uh, the footwork and the fundamentals and, you know, making sure that he doesn't slip and he's able to stick on the man. And a lot of the mock drafts I see, I see him going to Cleveland and I think that is a very interesting place where he could go because they have Sexton, they have Darius Garland, they got the passer. They have um, Kevin, Kevin Porter Jr., I believe. And you had Obi Toppin in that group. I think that's a very interesting mix that you have with that group. 
the thing with Toppin too, I have him as my number one pick for high bust or boom potential because really the offense is going to want is what's going to make him boom. But the defense and everything else that lies there and the fact that he is 22, which is kind of old for a prospect considering you have a lot of 19 year olds, 20 year olds too being drafted this highly. I think it all comes down to, can he get his overall game um, intact within only a couple of years? But I think, too, that the organization is going to go to and the coaching staff, that could be very key to the making sure that they get everything out of this guy that everybody is projecting him to be. I think there's also something to be said about really high athletic players that don't play defense. Uh, that just bothers me as, like, you know, a 5'7 Filipino guy that once had dreams to <laughs> m- make the NBA. I mean, fuck. If, if I had the athleticism of some of these guys – in you know in the NCAA I'd be working my ass off just to like you know on defense I'd be yeah. going for loose balls I'd be I would be locking up basically but John you know I mean? how dare you shame us tight-hipped people you don't know what it's like <laughs> to have, like creak when you're moving on defense all the time and everyone's like squat and you're like I can't it's it's a hard life my friend I'm just you know picturing. Right. I'm just picturing John as like the Filipino Nate Robinson, <laughs> just like like jumping like six feet high in the dunk contest. Like. I wish. I wish those those were the dreams back in the day. Oh, uh, what could have been, man? I you know, got Jeff I, lifting him up to the hoop. <laughs> I also had a, a fantasy. Well, not a fantasy, but I really believed that I would grow to at least six feet tall, and I didn't. Wait, make uh, it. John, John. Yeah. Uh, I guess just a question for you on that. I guess. Um, like, who would you be your NBA comp as a player for, for you? My for NBA comp? Boy. As a player. Damn. Well, back in my day, I used to be a pretty decent playmaker. Um, I would say I'm a poor man's Rondo. Um, and a poor man's <laughs> poor Rondo is like... Rondo? Poor man's Rondo because my jump shot is whack. <laughs> I, right. I can make a good pass here and there. Nice. And I play hard on oh, defense. Man. I can get steals. Like, I, I actually get a lot of steals when people aren't really, like, paying attention. I, I, I like paying attention on defense. And I, I wouldn't say I'm a high IQ player, but that's why I'm the poor man's Rondo, I guess. But uh, anyways, this isn't about me. Um, <laughs> speaking about like boomer bust, I definitely ended up as a bust, but a player that I really think is going to be a uh, boom or bust, it's actually a guy from Serbia. I've got Alexi Pokuchevsky. A little bit of a tongue twister, but... Um, if you say it a couple times, you can uh, get it right. He's a seven foot, two hundred five pound center, and I say that with air quotes for the listeners because he seems more like a small forward to me just because of his build. Like if you see a picture of him, he's super skinny. So if he plays center in the NBA, he's just gonna get moved around by literally any center or any power forward. But I, I wrote this down specifically just to get your guys' reactions. And I, I want you guys to hear this. So imagine this. Imagine a seven-foot hybrid of Kristaps Porzingis, Nikola Jokic, with a little mix, just a little mix of Luka Doncic in the frame of a player of like Bull Bull. That's what you hypothetically could get from Alexei Pokuchevsky. That's a mix. <laughs> I mean, it's potentially the, one of the uh, 
you know, if he turns out to be a player of that like caliber, even he just like he's maybe like half off of what that prediction is, he's going to be a good player in the league. But I really say this because he has excellent vision on the court. He's he utilizes his size in order to see the whole floor, and he's a really good um, dribbler for his size. He's got he uses that decent handle to really operate in the fast break. And he's not the fastest athlete in the world, but these days in the NBA, you don't have to be like the, the top, top athlete to be effective on offense. If you look at Luka Doncic, he's not the fastest guy in the world, but he's still able to break defenses down with his shiftiness, his craftiness. And that's what a little bit I see from Pokuchevsky. And besides that, he's also a great rim protector just due to his height, his wingspan, and his jumping ability. But at this point, he's a little too reliant on his size to defend. And I will say there's definitely a lot more red flags for this guy than, you know, strengths at this point. He, he definitely needs to add a lot more strength at the next level in order to be effective as like a four or a five. And like I was saying earlier, his pos- positional fit is questionable at best just because he's, he's a little bit of a tweener in the center of a, in a body of a center. So that doesn't really make too much sense uh, as a you know a professional right now, but he can definitely develop into one of those positions. And I just think too, because he's like you know one of the youngest players in the in the draft. Actually, he is the youngest player in this draft. He just has a little bit of a tendency sometimes to go for the home run highlight play, you know, similar to a Lamelo Ball. But the fact is, this guy he he played with the Olympiacos B team in Greece last season. So he wasn't going up against the highest level competition either. But here, here's my case for this guy. If he lands in the right situation, a la, you know, a San Antonio, maybe Boston, or, you know, if he's available at 29 or the Raptors move up like a Toronto, just a team with a good developmental base, they can really harness his skill set to become one of the best players in the league. Because, you know, you look at a guy like Giannis, once upon a time, he was just a skinny Greek kid coming from uh, all the way overseas and literally, like, no skill set. You haven't heard of him at all. He was playing in a lower division league, and now he's the MVP of the league. Back-to-back MVP, might I add. (sighs) So the way I, I look at this kid, he reminds me a little bit of Giannis coming out to the draft, like a young Giannis. Mm-hmm. just you know minus the athleticism a little bit but this guy's got a better jump shot than Giannis at this point of their well, careers there was also a guy named Bruno Caboclo yes that know. is fair because with this type of prospect the reason why he's boomer bust is because it, it can go one or two ways you either got the Brazilian Kevin Durant or you got Bruno Caboclo <laughs> you either got Giannis Antetokounmpo or you got I don't know just for the sake of names, Dragon yeah. or Alexi Pokerjewski. <laughs> I don't know. Who knows? Um, no. Yeah, it's the Giannis corollary, man. And like, no one knew exactly how to like scout Giannis because he was playing against like what looks like intramural teams. Yeah, like not even. So, <laughs> doesn't even look like high school level basketball in America. It's like I just don't even know what what I can like make of the guy. So it's like I don't. I wouldn't say with Giannis, you knew he was like athletically one of a kind. Yeah. Whereas just like this guy is like, he's got great skills and he's tall. And 
there's no athletic one of a kind there. So I just I don't know how to feel about him. If I was one of those teams in the in the teens, which is where it sounds like he's gonna go, I don't think I'd be picking him. But I wouldn't fault anyone for doing it. I'm rolling the dice on Alexei Pokuchevsky. I'm rolling the dice if I'm a team there. I don't know, man. It's just in a draft like this, regardless, it's not going to be the strongest anyway. So you might as well pick a guy that's got a high potential ceiling. That's just my look at it anyways. But uh, uh, what do you guys think about Alexei Pokuchevsky? Yeah. Have you seen anything about him? Have you heard of him at all? Because to be honest with you, I didn't really know about him until like a week ago. Yeah, no, I think, um, you know, seconding kind of what you were saying, John, I think David also, when he was saying is the fact that I think given the position that I seem kind of projected, which is, you know, about the 20 to 30 range, um, it seems like, oh, you know, you never know if someone could jump up. You know, Giannis was, you know, Giannis himself made a pretty big jump up to number 15, yeah. um, you know, in his draft year. Um, but I think in terms of like, you know, one, the fact that, you know, he's going to be probably a draft and stash guy for at least one, one or two more years that can kind of help him develop. And I think it'll be critical for him to kind of really kind of, if he can get some minutes of the Olympiacos, like, a team i guess yeah. you know they play you know in a pretty good greek league they play in the euro league as well um so that'd be kind of good experience for him to kind of develop in that in that aspect um but i think in terms of you know going to your point john about kind of the comparison stuff like if the ceiling is that high and there's that kind of real reality to kind of reach that ceiling you know my philosophy of kind of drafting especially the nba is the fact that you know especially like you draft for upside yeah, for sure. You know, you draft for upside, especially if you're kind of taking the 20s, right? Like, you're not going to draft someone that you can go sign on the free agent market when they're 28 years old. Yeah. You know, so if this guy's got, like, upside potential and you're picking, like, 27, 28 overall, like, I look at a team like the Boston Celtics, they got three first-round picks. And quite frankly, like, they're in a kind of a tough spot because they don't really have enough roster spots to have enough, have enough rookies next year. Like, they already put in, like, four rookies this year already and sent some of them down to the G League. Like, they simply don't have enough space, especially if Gordon Hayward comes back and stuff like to kind of fit three rookies again. So if they can't, you know, trade all three of them for like a player, if they can't trade all three of them to move up for like Killian Hayes or whatever, um, you know, then they might get stuck with that, you know, 27th and 30th overall pick. And they may think, you know, if Kuzhevsky is available, let's take a flyer on him. You know, we don't, he doesn't have to come to our roster right away. We can stash him in Europe for one or two more years, let him develop there. And then, you know, when our roster situation is a little bit better, then he then we can bring him over. And, you know, if he's still not ready, we can put him in the G League for a year or two. And I, I mean, think, uh, sorry, Jeff. Going just, back to, like, for example, with Bruno Caboclo, like, did we miss out on anybody in that draft? I think I remember um, it was Tyler was Ennis. That was, like, like, what a lot of people were hoping that the Raptors would pick. But, like, other than that, like, even, like, we drafted him for upside. Um, obviously didn't pan out. But I don't think it was like we missed out on anybody with that pick. Maybe I'm wrong. Uh, I can't. I can't think of anybody we missed out on. Um, you know that's why I, I'm very high on Pokuchevsky just for the fact that this is a weak draft class, and you need to select someone like, like Michael was saying, is high upside, and, you know this is a very bold take too. But just watch a couple of months from now, we're gonna hear that Messiah Jiri is trying to make a move to move up to draft Alexei Pokuchevsky, or maybe we'll hear this a couple of years out. I don't know. I might be crazy. I'm probably crazy, but I don't know. Grant, what do you think about this kid? Uh, yeah, he's kind of one of the few players uh, that I just didn't have enough time to do scanning reports on him. Uh, but, John, you do make a convincing argument for him. Um, 
yeah, I, I think he could be one of those guys where we're going to see this with the later round picks too. And just looking how this draft is that I feel like the guys that go out of maybe the top eight or maybe the top 10, you know, let's give credit to those that go to the top 10, but those go out of the top 10, they're going to need a couple of years to develop, you know, uh, love if, you know, a guy that went 22 in the draft that he was able to be a starter, but the realistic point of it is that, um, you know, he's probably going to take a couple of years to develop and to put size. And I mean, just, um, you know, develop his overall game. Because the thing that these guys, that we can talk them all up and we can make these comparisons with Giannis. But remember, what was Giannis when he got drafted? He was potential. Yeah. But that was it. Like the potential was that he was going to grow into that frame and that hopefully that the skill set would get better and that he had the high motor to get better. Mm-hmm. So I feel like that's the kind of same thing with uh, Paul Kuczewski, that um, you're going to need a couple of years to develop and, you know, see if he fits that frame. Yeah, For sure. And- I think uh, just a quick point, I guess, um, off what you were saying about development grant, I think like that's the key point. I think so like for me kind of following like the NHL draft and stuff, like the NBA is so much different because I think a lot of the players are perhaps kind of too rushed into kind of, you know, you need to see playing time right away rather than kind of, you know, in the NHL, it's like, you know, if a guy needs to go back to junior, he can go back to junior. If he needs to play another year in the Swedish league or the KHL, they can play more years there. They can play in the AHL. But the NBA, it feels like if you're kind of in the top 15, top 20, it's like, you know, there's almost, you know, this, there's still kind of a little bit of a stigma of, you know, being sent down to the G League. You know, yeah. being sent down to the G League is like, oh, you're not doing well or whatever. But the reality is it's like if you're getting picked from, you know, outside the top 10 or even if you're picked within the top 10, there's nothing wrong with kind of spending a year kind of developing rather than kind of saying, oh, you know, you're sitting on the bench seeing four minutes a night. You know, go down to the G League, go play. But I think with Podrzewski, I think, you know, to your point, Grant, I think, the key would just be in terms of the team that drafts them in terms of their internal development. And, you know, in terms of, you know, if it's good organizations like the Raptors, like the Spurs, like, you know, the Boston Celtics in terms of what they can do with that. I think the key is just like allowing him kind of the, the two, one or two years to stay in Greece and play. Cause I think that would be really important. And then, yeah, I think, I mean, my whole thing in general of kind of prospects kind of in any sport is the fact that I think, you know, it's like the 80% rule, 80% of prospects, their success in their careers is very much contingent on the situations that they're in. Um, you know, the coaches there around the situations that they're in, you know, there's 10%, you know, the, the surefire people that are going to be pretty good wherever they're at. And then there's the 10% that are just going to fail wherever they're at. But I think 80% of that 70 to 80% of that is so much about kind of fit. And so that's why with like drafts and stuff, like people talk about like, you know, top prospects, where do they go? If I'm a player, I'm much more about kind of where do I fit the best in terms of what team's going to give me opportunity, what team's going to develop me. Because the reality from a financial point of view is the fact that, sure, you may make a bit more money being the first overall pick than the 10th overall pick. But as an NBA player, we all know it's like, you know, you don't start earning money until your second contract. So the key is just to kind of get to a place where I can fit the best and put myself in the best position to get that big second contract. Um, so that's what Pajewski, like I see, I think anything that drafts him, Troy, through told, you know, maybe it's the young situation, but I could see like anything that drafts him, I think they won't bring him over right away. Um, which could be best for his, you know, his development. If they do bring him, you know, I don't think, you know, the good thing for him is the fact that there's no pressure to kind of say, oh, you know, you'll have to prove it by averaging X amount of points or X amount of rebounds, you know, in your rookie season, you know, give him two, three years. He's, you know, he's, you know, 18 years old or 19 years old or whatever. Um, There's nothing wrong with him, you know, being, being a, you know, NBA rookie at like 20 or 21. For sure. For sure. 100%. So, um, Moving on along along the lines of more boomer bust guys, uh, David, wh- what do you have for your boomer bust pick here? Anthony Edwards. 
Um, he seems to have the, the body to athletically to be, you know, he's a, only a certain few amount of guys each year have this type of athletic body where it's kind of like no matter what, there'll be something in the league. And you feel like if it hits, then there'll be sky's the limit. Um, but all the reports in this guy is that he, like, he's a good kid, but he's a bit immature. And the kind of reflects on how he plays. It's just not really an effort on defense. Um, his offensive game is pretty reticent, I'd say. A lot of like settling in for jumpers that he's not exactly good at yet. Um, but, I mean, he's, he's a bull. The guy is, however his height is, he's like 6'8 or something. 6'4", I think. He's, th- he's thick. Like he's a, he's, he looks like a, like a big running back out there. And he's got hops, all the explosiveness. Um, seems like he's got some natural coordination as well. Like the jumper you could see going in at a much better level. It just, it's just a matter of is he going to be in the right environment? Like um, Michael was talking about, is getting to that right team? And is he going to be surrounded by the right guys? And is, is he going to have the right mindset? These are things I don't know about the guy. Um, and it's just such a wild card. Personally, I'd, I'd be a bit off of just the face value reports. I'd be a bit squeamish to grab him. But I, I also see the, the argument for taking him first overall. The way, the way you're describing him, so you're basically saying, if I had the body of Anthony Edwards, I'd be the number one pick in the draft with my mentality. Oh, without a doubt. <laughs> but I have the tight hips of Obi Toppin, John. Yeah, not that's, that's unfortunate, man. I'm sorry, but <laughs> I know. I mean, maybe you can like get injections every game. I, I don't know what players do to. I'm also six one. I hear so yoga it's... does pretty well nowadays. Oh, I'm in it. I'm I'm down. <laughs> it's, it's it's great stuff. It's uh, we're we're not all born like Anthony Edwards, unfortunately. Yeah, but if we had the body and we bring in the right mentality, maybe we could be NBA stars. So exactly. maybe in the 2024 draft, we can talk about uh, John Glardo and David Lockheed potentially <laughs> hitting the late first round. But I don't know. What do you guys think about Anthony Edwards, though? Like, Do you guys feel the same way as David? Because I think for me, he's not as much of a question mark as a guy like Lamelo or a guy like Alex Pokuchevsky. I think he has some NBA-ready talent. You know, in terms of his physicality, his athleticism, um, his shot selection is kind of questionable at best. And I did read David's comment about comparing him to a Dion Waiters. I definitely see a little bit of that in his game, but I also see a little bit of, you know, Victor Oladipo. Uh, I don't know. Maybe I'm reaching. What do you guys think? Yeah. Um, no, I think I'm glad you brought up the Victor Oladipo comparison because I think, um, you know, just based in terms of just watching kind of him and obviously – Kind of in comparison to come that 2013 draft that was, you know, somewhat disappointing near the top, I guess. Um, yeah. You know, I, Oladipo, Oladipo, but with in some ways a little bit of a better body, I would say, more athleticism. Mm. Um, is kind of how I would characterize him in terms of, you know, Oladipo was one of those who wasn't, you know, it took it took it took Oladipo a while to develop. You know, it took him until he got to kind of OKC and then in and then um, Indiana to really kind of blossom. And you know, that's yeah. Orlando's you know mistake that they didn't develop properly. Um, but, you know, I think Oladipo, it's one of those where, um, you know, to your point, David, about the boomer bust, I think, you know, he's just, you know, I just think in terms of like, the bust thing is just, I think, what could prevent him from becoming a 
superstar or a, or kind of that next level in a sense. You know, I think he can be a kind of a good player in a sense. Um, you know, he's definitely kind of got that to be a good player and he's, you know, but I just think in terms of some of the things in terms of, you know, some of the intangibles, sometimes, you know, a little bit defensively at times, um, that's the kind of stuff that he'll really kind of need to develop if he wants to go from being kind of a, you know, a star to kind of being kind of on that next level in terms of being consistent all-star or something like that. Yeah, I agree. I think with Edwards is just where he's going to be drafted. He's going to be going in the top three. So at that point, you're, I know it's a bad draft, but you're still hoping or expecting a star. And I think guarantee he's going to, at the, at the least, average 15 points a game for a couple seasons. But if you're getting an empty calorie score, that's obviously not, that's going to be a bust if he's drafted third overall. Or, like you said, could be playoff MVP. Yeah, I don't think there's a really um, – well, I guess there is an in-between for where Edwards is probably going to project, but I, I don't necessarily see him as you know a surefire superstar, and I think that's kind of the reason why David has him here as a uh, boomer bust pick. I guess it's really going to depend on um, how he develops further in the NBA, just uh, if he can iron out the little um, inconsistencies and kinks in his game that – are currently hindering him. I mean, Grant, do you see Edwards in the same sort of uh, ways we're looking at him right now? Yeah, I, I, I see the biggest factors being how consistent he is, like, night in and night out. Um, you know, you know what you're getting with him when it comes to offense, and genetically, he's one of the more gifted prospects that we have in this draft, and we've touched on that a lot already, so I'm just going to leave it as it is. But it's a consistency on defense, too, because we've seen where, you know, he plays with um, his heart on his sleeve and he plays with raw emotions, which can be a big um, advantage for players because we've seen it in the league, too. You know, we've seen it. Uh, this is the one that's coming on to my mind just because he's in trade rumors, but Russell Westbrook. You know, like you see him when he plays with his heart on his sleeve, he's absolutely dominant. Like you're not going to stop him when he is driving to the paint. And there's that intimidation factor, too, that when you start showing that emotion. Uh, it's a consistency on defense, though, that the, when I was going through his tape and a lot of the critics are saying that, it's just his effort. You know, like one play, like he'll be locked in, and the next play he might not know what he's doing or, you know, he just won't give his best effort. And the thing when you make it to the next level, the NBA, is that you're going to have to learn, especially if he's drafted as high as he's projected, that you can't get away with that. Like you can't get away with maybe going – one night in and, you know, two nights off, you know, like if you're projected that high, you are expected to give a hundred percent on both ends of the floor. Yeah, for sure. Effort is so key and you need to bring it every night in the NBA or you're just going to get eaten alive. Not that I know from experience, but I mean, Jeff, what do you, what do you think about Anthony Edwards? Just from what you I mean, well, I'm just thinking about like the fit with Minnesota. Cause I, I feel like that makes sense fit wise. Um, I just kind of think about like what the direction is with Minnesota because they need to get this pick right. You know, for sure. they've been a franchise that's been a mess for so long. Um, they have a franchise player in Carl Anthony Towns. They made an acquisition to get his best friend, um, D'Angelo Russell. Mm-hmm. There's, I know there's talk about Devin Booker, but I don't think that's going to happen. Um, so with this first pick, they got to get it right. Either the Edwards pans out for them or they trade down to get some assets to help build around those two core players. 
I don't know how high I am on Jared Culver. Um, but I just think that if, like, based on the conversations we have about Edwards, if Edwards can be that type of guy, that if D'Angelo Russell, Anthony Edwards, and Carl Anthony Towns can build, like, a big three foundation in Minnesota. Yeah, that's probably the ideal situation, right? If Anthony Edwards pans out, he can really be that complimentary star alongside D'Angelo Russell and Carl Anthony Towns where you can make a playoff push and you can maybe start, you know, competing for meaningful basketball games in the coming years. But at the same time, you know, it's also questionable about how Edwards can fit in when he primarily needs the ball in his hands to be effective. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't really think he can be a effective off ball player as he's shown yet. He hasn't really shown the ability to do that, and and then you start thinking, well, is then is D'Angelo Russell going to start playing off the ball? Which I think he can do to a greater degree of effectiveness than Edwards. But yeah, it's it's definitely a tough one. Minnesota does need to get this pick right because the future of Carl Anthony Towns and potentially D'Angelo Russell, their their whole team as constructed currently with this young core, it's going to be in jeopardy if they don't get this pick right. And, you know, there's there's going to be whispers around the league that Carl Anthony Towns isn't happy, which we've been hearing like just a little bit. But I don't, I don't know. Michael, what do you think about Anthony Edwards real quick? No, exactly. I think kind of what I mentioned before about, you know, the Oladipo comparison. But I think in terms of, you know, Given, given, you know, what you're mentioning, John, about like Minnesota gets picked right. That's why I think it's like, as I mentioned before, it's like they're not like a contender that's a piece away that can just easily kind of trade out this piece or trade down this piece yeah. so easily. Like, you know, you have to be convinced that like if you're going to trade down, you still have to get a really good player. Otherwise, if you're just sticking to make this pick, you got to, you got to, you know, you have the being number one pick, you have the responsibility, the opportunity and the responsibility to take the best player in the draft. And I think that's kind of what Minnesota is. That's the pressure on Minnesota they need to do. Like, if there's not kind of an enticing kind of trade or whatever, like, I wouldn't rush this to trade for, like, a rant, like a just average 3 and D role player from another team just to win now, quote-unquote. You know, they're not at that point yet. You know, Golden State maybe can make the arguments more at that point than they are. Um, so I think in terms of if I was them, I would just, like, you know, whether it's Lamelo or Anthony Edwards or – you know, even if it's a big, like, you know, if you believe in your heart of hearts that James Wiseman or Onyeka or, you know, if, they're the, if you believe they're the best player in the draft or, you know, Killian Hayes is the best player in the draft, you know, go take them or, or trade down and take them, you know, but you have to, that's got to be the mentality instead of kind of saying, this is a way to squeeze out an extra piece through a trade kind of thing, or to, you know, trade for immediate help, quote unquote, because, you know, this might look like a weak draft now, but if one of those three turns out to be a really good player and Minnesota just easily traded down from that or traded out of that just because they want to win now, quote unquote, like they're not in the position to kind of, you know, win now necessarily just by a trade. You still think, you still need to think about kind of your longer term as well. Like, didn't the, the Jason Tatum trade, right? Like Philadelphia trading down for yeah. <laughs> messing that one yeah. up. Yeah, yeah. yeah. if there's something available like that, you definitely take it, um, especially when you get the guy you want and then you can get more assets out of that. You do it in a heartbeat, 100%. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that's our conversation a little bit on the boomer bust picks. 
make sure you guys tune in to our second part of our draft conversation where we talk about the second round gems, Luka Doncic, and the potential draft day moves that some teams can make. Thank you.